0: So Hebrews 13, it finishes with verses 18 uh, to 25, so I would like to read 18 to 25, and then we're going to focus in on verse 24. So he says at the end of his letter here, pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably, but I especially urge you to do this, that is pray for us, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Here it is. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. So it's not uncommon whether you're talking about a letter somebody writes today or a letter that somebody wrote in the ancient world. It's not uncommon for them to begin with a greeting and to end with a farewell. And that happens in almost all the letters in the New Testament. There are a couple letters that, such as the end of Galatians, where you don't get that, and it's probably because of the nature of the problem in Galatia, and the severity, and the seriousness with which Paul had to address the Galatians, because he was concerned about them falling from grace, and that's a terrible thing. Here's a church, too, that has lots and lots of problems, and uh, most of the letters in the New Testament, by the way, are the result of problems in the early church, even when the apostles were still alive. And you would say, oh, I wish we could go back to the good old days when the apostles were around. Well, the church has never been trouble-free, ever, and it will not be trouble-free until Christ returns and there's the new heavens and the new earth. And in a sense, thank God for those heretics. Thank God for those troubles and those problems without which we would not have a Bible. We would not have a New Testament. So God works all things together for good, even heresy and errors and and people that um, decide they're going to tell everybody what to believe and what they're teaching them is wrong. So here we have a letter that opens and closes with a fairly typical way of greeting and saying farewell. There in chapter 13, especially verse 24 and 25. Now, when you write a letter to somebody, and you greet them at the beginning of your letter, and you tell them what you have on your heart and on your mind, and you finish up, and then you give them a parting farewell, a parting greeting, what it does is it expresses your affection for the people you're writing to. And if there's one thing that you find in Scripture, especially these personal letters, is the affection of the writer to the people he's writing to. Sincere affection, love, care, concern. Sometimes, as I said in Galatians, the concern is severe because the problem is very serious and even salvation-threatening, you might say. So he says to them here, greet all those who rule over you. That's interesting that he says to the church there, greet their rulers first. And then he says, and all the saints. So greet all those who rule over you and greet all the saints. Then he adds, those from Italy greet you. So he wants to greet all of them, but he makes a distinction. He distinguishes between the leaders of the church and the members of the church. So the leaders, very clear, are those who rule over you and all the saints. And not that I think that I have to teach this uh, and belabor this point, but notice that Believers are saints. Saints are believers. There's not a separate category of believers that are more faithful and closer to God and holier than the uh, the rest of us, and they're the saints. That's why I, I avoid saying St. Mark and St. Paul and St. John. I, I prefer to call them apostles. That's what they are. But the faith they had in Christ that saved them is the same faith that saved me. They're not more saved than somebody who's not an apostle. And all who believe in Jesus Christ are set apart by God through the Holy Spirit, and we are all saints, all set-apart ones by faith in Jesus Christ. So there's, there's nothing here where you have to say, oh, okay, he's writing to the, to, the, to the leaders of the church and to those really holy members of the church, but why doesn't he greet everybody else too? No, he does. That's who they are. They're saints. And um, the word all takes place twice. I think that's significant. He could have used it once. You know, he could have said, greet all those who rule and, 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 and the saints among you. But he, he does it twice. And I think um, it's the word of God. We believe that it's inspired word for word. So to see the word all used here twice to me says, underline it. There's a reason for this. And he doesn't want to exclude anybody. And I think part of the reason is this is a church, as we've seen, a church that's in trouble. Things are not all okay here. Things are not, uh, not well here. And there are tensions in the body of Christ. I think maybe why he mentions the, the leaders first, because that's appropriate. Um, and I think uh, he's trying to foster the unity here in the church. Um, there seems maybe, doesn't come right out and say it, that there, there may be some tension uh, between the saints, the members of the church, and, and the leaders of the church, perhaps. Look at verse 7, for example. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then verse 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So it seems that, uh, and we already know that some of the members of the church had uh, had stopped attending. They weren't coming together with the saints. And he says in let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit or the manner of some, but exhorting one another and all the more since, uh, you know, as you see the day approaching. That's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. So the church is, is going through a, a time of stress, difficulty, perhaps some discord, maybe even between the leaders and the members. And so he he's finishing. And it, it looks like This writer may have been a part of this church, maybe even one of the leaders of the church, because he says in verse 19, remember this, I especially urge you to do this, he's asked for prayer, to pray that I may be restored to you the sooner. And the idea of being restored is the idea that I once was among you, for some reason he's not with them, but he wants to get back to them. And it's, uh, again, similar to that, he says in verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. So he's hoping that now that Timothy's been released from prison, the two of them can come together soon and be back at the church or the churches where, where this letter is sent to. So none are excluded, and again, I think, this is affection. I love you. I'm concerned about you. I've And remember what he says there in uh, verse 22. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with the word of exhortation, uh, for I have written to you in few words. In other words, I know I've written some words to you, and I've warned you, and I've rebuked you, and I've, I've, I've shaken you up a bit here, and I've spoken very frankly with you. He says, and, and I'm pleading with you, that I'm doing this because I love you. I'm doing this not because I think I'm better than you, or or you're on, you know, you've gotten on my nerves and I'm annoyed with you. I love you, and uh, I want the best for you, and I see these signs of trouble, and I want you to understand it. And a lot of what he's saying, of course, is to, Jew, to Jews that have started to believe in Jesus in, as Messiah, and somebody was questioning their faith, and they were having doubts and questions about is Jesus really the Messiah? And, uh, you know, there's the temple that was standing at this time, and there were still animal sacrifices and priests there in Jerusalem, and there were still many synagogues, and these people left their synagogues, and now we're going to the local church, and uh, a very disturbed and troubled congregation here. So he says, I'm, I love you, I know what's going on there, and I don't want you to lose your hold upon uh, your Savior, your Messiah, and uh, so he's given me this grace to write to you, and I love you, and, and that's why I've done this. Um, so he's really seeking to love his brothers and sisters, but at the same time to strengthen their unity. And hold your place here for a moment and look at Ephesians 4. And we, we looked at this during our Sunday morning Ephesians um, trek through, through this letter. And it's, it's, a, it's Paul's expression of how important it is for us to hold fast our unity together. And he says it in a, just a few verses here in Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 6. Let's look at that. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, so at this time Paul's been incarcerated. I beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Here it is. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Another way of saying this very accurately would be make every effort to hold the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Very strong. Make every effort. Your part in the body of Christ is to do everything you can in God's way and in God's strength to keep us together as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And then he tells us why in verse 4, and 5, and 6. There's one body, not many. There's one spirit, not many. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, there's only one gospel, there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So it's very clear, there's not... There's not different churches, there's not different faiths, there's not different... Baptism doesn't mean different things in different parts of the world, and different churches. Mm -mm. We are all one body in Christ. Even though we may be very different from each other personality-wise, ethnically, or geographically, and so on and so forth. uh, All over the world, and remember what Jesus said, there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And Jesus is that shepherd... And once he returns and we're all together with him in the new heavens and the new earth, uh, we shall be one forever and ever. And I have another place I want you to look at. And then he says, um, going back to Hebrews 13 now, those from Italy greet you. Now he's probably talking about Rome. Not that Rome was the only place where Christians gathered and met, but of course uh, in, in another place in, in, in the New Testament, when he mentions Italy, it's, it's probably Rome principally that he's referring to. But again, he's sending them greetings from Christians from some other area of the world, some other local churches. And again, he's emphasizing that there are Christians that meet over here in Italy. There's Christians that meet there where you are. There's the churches in Ephesus and Asia Minor and here and there. But we're really all one. And so wherever any Christians are, we love each other. We care about each other. And, and you you know, you've experienced this, I'm pretty sure. Um, you're with somebody. You don't know them. Maybe it's a salesperson. And you're talking to them and you're thinking, I wonder, is this a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord? And you might venture to probe a bit and they look at you and you look at them and it, Oh, yeah, yeah. Just like Friday night. <laughs> and all of a sudden you find out, wow, you know, he, you saved my life. And you're a believer now? And I'm a believer now? And there was a hug and there was joy. I mean, the, the, the room, the atmosphere in the room was really blessed to, to discover that, you know, as Mike related. And, and so uh, when you find out somebody's a believer, you get excited. You know, you're blessed. You love it. It's great. And it's as though you've known each other for years lots of times times when you meet somebody like that. So, so those from Italy greet you. And so we are all one family. Let's believe it. Let's act like it. Let's promote it. Let's work at it and not allow ourselves to be divided from each other. And, and remember this. The early church was a house church movement. It wasn't denominational back then. We have denominations now. But at that time, it, there was not a denominational movement at all. It was a house church movement. Somebody would be saved over here, and they'd start meeting in a house. Somebody in another part of the world where the apostles preached would start, would be saved and would meet in a house. And there were these little and larger house churches popping up all over the Roman Empire. <laughs> and from what we can tell from these letters and what they call the church fathers, that would be the those men who led the church after the apostles had died, right after after the apostles were off the scene, um, and they've written letters, and and I mentioned one earlier today, Ignatius, we find that they were constantly in contact with one another. They were sending emissaries and envoys out, and and word would come through. You know, uh, we just learned that over there in that part of uh, Asia Minor, Uh, or Syria, uh, a new church has been started. You know, brother so-and-so went over there and preached and all these or so-and-so businessman, he was a Christian, he was traveling through an area and he stopped overnight in this place and he was talking to the people he was staying with and they started to believe in Jesus. And now there's a church meeting in their house and, and they would stay in contact with each other. They didn't have texting, they didn't have email, they didn't have phones, they didn't have radios, but the word traveled like wildfire through the Uh, through the ancient world as people found out about each other being Christians. And so it was very important because the devil always is threatening our unity. There's always heretics. There's always leaders who are leading people away from the truth. And so there was this concern of the apostles in the early church, well, make sure that what they believe is what Paul preached, is what Jesus taught us, what Peter said, and, and they would, whenever anybody got a letter from one of the apostles or one of the gospels, they would copy it and they would copy it and then they would start spreading it out. And somebody over here found, you have a letter from Paul, we're going to send somebody over, we want to make copies of that. Well, don't worry about it, we've already made some copies and we'll give you some. And, and the word of God began to spread all over the place. There is no truth to the claim that Constantine is the reason why we have the New Testament. It's utterly false. It's utterly untrue. And yet you'll hear people say that, oh, it was Constantine. No, not the case at all. And history proves it. You just read the different letters that we have. And if the few letters out of all that were written show this to us, you know, if we had found more letters of the ancient world, the, the early church leaders, it would have borne it out even more conclusively. So, so it's, a, it's an early, the early church was a house church movement. Christians from all over the empire kept in touch with each other. And so they had to, they had to push this, uh, this doctrine of unity in the church. But that's not the only reason. It's not a pragmatic thing. Unity of the body is not merely pragmatic. We've got to stick together, you know. Uh, united we stand, divided we fall. There's truth to that. But look at what Jesus says in John 17. This is the most important reason for our unity. John chapter 17. interesting our our Sunday school teacher and we uh, right now we're watching a, a series of video lessons and he he was he referred to this passage but John 17 verse 20 listen to our Lord Jesus I do not pray for these alone of course he's praying to his father but also for those who will believe in me through their word the apostles words here it is that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's not pragmatism, that's theology. And that's theology in this sense. God the Father is one God, but three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are God. And one of the persons is not more nor less God than any of the other persons. Each is fully God and together are God. Now that's a mystery that's beyond our comprehension, but it is true. And so when we break up and divide and fight and squabble and don't reconcile, we're basically saying that that doctrine of the Trinity that you believe That can't be true, because look at you. (laughs) Unity comes from the fact that God is a unity of persons, a triune God. So look at verse 22. And the glory which you gave me, Father, I have given them. And the them here is us, that they may be one. So he's repeating himself, because it's so important, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you Father in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world, he says it again, may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That last statement is mind-blowing. He's saying that they might know, we might know, that the Father has loved us as he's loved Jesus. How much love does the Father have for his son, Jesus? It's an infinite amount of love. That's the love that the Father has for us sinners, us adopted sons and daughters. I mean, it it leaves you speechless. Just like this morning. God has done everything for us. And he not only offers it to you and to me, he gives you the faith to believe it. Because when the time comes, you're born again. Now you can see. Now you can hear. And now you have faith to believe these gargantuan claims of the Bible and promises of God. So it's not faith plus works. We believe In Jesus Christ, according to faith alone, by the grace of God alone, and we believe in Jesus Christ alone plus nothing. And there you see Jesus is from another direction talking about this infinite love, this, this inexhaustible love that God loves you and me, and we're not perfect, we're not righteous, we're sinners, we're fallen, we mess up all the time, and the father's love for you and for me is no less than the father's love for his own son, and remember, you and I are in Christ by faith, so the son, the father, the, the, father, the, the love that the father has for his son is coming to us because we're in Christ, we're in union with Christ, So I hope this helps you to see why it's so important that he says, um, greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. And then he adds, and those from Italy that we've been with and talking to, they greet you as well because we're all one in Christ as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one God together. So with that, foundation, I want to take a look at some of the greetings and then some of the farewells in the scriptures. So we'll, we'll take a little journey through the letters. So start off with Romans chapter 1. Take a look at Romans chapter 1. And we'll basically do this in the order that they're in in the New Testament. Not, not completely, but, but more or less. So Romans 1, okay, verse 7. So Paul, well, let me start with Paul, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And then verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And whole sermons are preached on words like that. And then take a look at 1 Corinthians 1. Let's go on to the next letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 here. So, of course, the opening of the letter. Now, we tend to sign the letter with our name at the end, and in the ancient world, they put their own name at the beginning of the letter. Just a little bit of a difference there. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he says grace to you and peace, he's saying all of God's blessings in those two words, grace and peace. Everything God has for you, you can sum up in grace and peace. And you can actually sum it up in just the word grace when you think about it. Because sometimes they end their letters by grace to you. It's not like, oh, well, I was too tired to write a few more words. They're basically saying grace. You have grace, you've got everything. (laughs) All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And notice the emphasis on you Corinthians are with all the people of God who are all saints, all in Christ, everywhere in the world. So again, that emphasis on unity. All of us are together. 2 Corinthians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Now, this is another brother's with him. Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. So Corinth is a city and Achaia is a region. It's like we'd say Media is a city and Delaware County is a region. With all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then moving a little further on, Ephesians. So if you could find your way to Ephesians, and you'll notice we won't be looking at Galatians because Galatians, Paul opens up with both barrels, <laughs> and it's a tough letter because they're in really bad shape. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Philippians is also interesting because it reminds me of how Hebrews ends. So look at Philippians. Move up to Philippians. It's after Ephesians. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. You might have bishops there, so it could be bishops and deacons, depending on your translation grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he addresses the saints, he addresses those who hold the office of elder, overseer, pastor and he addresses those who hold the office of deacon. So he's he's everybody at the church, even the ones in the different offices. Then move to the next letter, Colossians chapter 1. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and there's his companion, Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a lot of similarities in these greetings. And when you see saints and faithful brethren, I don't think you should say, well, there are saints and then there's faithful brethren. They're the same. It's something like this, to the saints, even faith the faithful brethren... In Christ, So he's basically speaking to the members and calling them saints and faithful brothers and sisters. Um, and then um, there's, uh, oh, I'm watching my time, so I, I want to watch out here. There's, uh, there is an unusual one in James chapter 1 I'd like you to see. Take a look at that. That's after Hebrews, of course, James chapter 1. Now, it's going to be different for one reason because James is not Paul. So Paul greets the believers his way and James his way. And also, I want to say this. I think sometimes scholars might argue, some scholars might argue, that this is more or less conventional. Like we say, Dear so and so, it's very sincere, very truly yours, sincerely yours. I think that when we're reading the Bible, that these openings and closings are more than conventional. You know, we just do it because that's what you do. I think they're very meaningful and purposeful and deliberate, and they're part of the inerrant word of God. So, but look at James 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Very different. 12 tribes scattered abroad. So you see, James is addressing believers in the ancient world with the same kind of wording that you would speak about ancient Israel, the 12 tribes. And that's because God has expanded Israel. Now, some people say there are those out there who say he replaced Israel. If you read Ephesians 1 and 2, especially the end of chapter 2, no, it's not a replacement. It's an expanding. So now through the gospel, the Gentiles have been added to the commonwealth of Israel. So instead of God's people being in one part of the world, they're going to start showing up all over the world because Jesus said, go and preach the gospel everywhere, right? Make disciples of all the nations, right? So, so now the gospel... As promised, Abraham. through Abraham, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's what has happened through Jesus Christ. So we see this. And so James, who is sometimes argued that he is the most Jewish of the apostles. And so he uses these Jew, this Jewish terminology. And it's great because he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the spirit and the heart not just in the body and the flesh. So that's Romans chapter 2, if you want to take a look at that. But I thought that's interesting. I wanted to show you that. Now, those are the greetings. Now, let's take a look at the farewells as the letters are ending. And look at Colossians 4. Back up a little bit to Colossians 4. So we're at the end of Colossians 4. And uh, I think... Take a look at verse 16. I'm sorry, we need to back up to verse 12. Oh, wait. (laughs) Verse 7. I must have been getting tired when I was making my notes. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, They will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you. Always laboring, stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphas, in the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of, Laod- of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. So this is a very full farewell, similar to the farewell in Romans. And, you know, you have a New Testament. You can use your Bibles and, and look up these, these farewells. And what a litany of names. Some of the great names of the faith show up uh, at the ends uh, of these letters. Now, the last one I want to do is simply read through uh, Romans 16. And you know what? I'm, I'm going to let you read through Romans 16. Romans 16. I want to finish, I really want to finish with John 13 and the view of the time. Let's do that. John 13. John 13. Now, there's two places where, to me, the love that God has shown us in Christ stand out in the New Testament. One is 1 John 3.16. Don't turn there. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. So we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters, right? Jesus said this. So John wrote that in 1 John. Jesus says, John 13, 34, and 35, which is where John, I'm sure, never forgot this. And he's the one who gave us these words. Look at John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another how as i have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another so if you read these new testament letters and see how they open and how they close and how love drives and motivates the leaders of the church to lay down their lives for the members of the church and to and to be willing to take all the heat and, and, and all the uh, anger and bitterness that they might receive by speaking the truth in love and see how God's people in the early church really loved one another, you will then will not be surprised how fast the church grew and spread in the early church. And we can see tonight by these expressions of concern that this is the example that we want to follow. Is there somebody in the church that you don't care that much for? Maybe they've troubled you, they've given you problems, or they don't seem to care for you, or they don't seem to respond to you in kindness And kindness and returning your desire to be friendly to them. Don't let it stop your love. Don't let it get you down. Don't let it cause you to imagine things and get paranoid or become angry and, and resentful. Instead, hear the call of God to you, and that you love those, and don't worry about whether those that you love love you back. Let's lay down our lives for one another, just as Christ did for us. And you know, some of us, we were not very receptive toward Christ's love for quite a while before we really understood and believed in him. So let's be patient. Let's hold fast the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace And let's not worry so much about how we're being treated, but let's be more concerned about how we love others. And when that's hard, what do you do when something's hard? What do you do when something seems even impossible? You ask God, Lord, this is hard. To me really it seems impossible. Will you give me the love that you've poured out for me? Would you give me that love for this brother, this sister, this neighbor, this enemy, whoever it might be. Let us learn to love one another. And that's what we learn from God when we come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? So love one another as I have loved you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are so glorious. And we actually are so unworthy and so pitiful. And, Lord, we cannot in any way point to ourselves and commend ourselves to you. But what we do is to commend our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one we trust. He is the one we believe in. And it's through the merits of your Son, the worthiness of your Son, the work of your Son, by which we have our right standing with you. And that's a standing that can never be removed because Jesus is at your right hand and Jesus is our righteousness. And now, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with the love of God that we may indeed love as you have loved us with really what amounts to be a supernatural love that comes from you, for we, have, we have, do not have that love in and of ourselves. Hear us as we pray, O oh Lord God. Help us in this fallen world and these fallen bodies. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.